time for Healthy Talk Radio. Healthy Talk Radio with Julian Whitaker, MD, America's Wellness Doctor, and Deborah Ray, America's First Lady of Health. Coming to you live from the headquarters of the Global Health Network and across the world wide web. <gasps> Computers can do that? It's America's longest running radio program dedicated to your health and wellness. What's taking place here is an alternative approach. Get in on the phone lines now by calling 1 800 307 3002. Now, here's Dr. Whitaker and Deborah Ray. Good day. Welcome to Healthy Talk Radio. I'm Deborah Ray. Well, America's blood banks are looking literally for some young blood. Apparently, they're raffling off iPods because many of their donors are aging and uh, that ever-changing donor restrictions are leaving some blood banks looking for some new ways to lure young donors. Speaking of young, all of us equate uh, vitality with aging well. So we have the opportunity with America's wellness doctor, Julian Whitaker, MD, today to get an update on what was recently presented at the Heart Failure Society's annual meeting. Tom Vonderbrink joining us today will talk about energy and the failing heart, optimizing your energy no matter what you age. Maybe you're just starting an exercise program with Dr. Julian Whitaker joining us today right here on Healthy Talk Radio. Now, the news and views about the news you won't hear anywhere else. The Healthy Talk Radio News Digest. Our mission, to provide you those healthcare news and views from credible sources that you won't hear anywhere else, bringing to us... Uh, America's wellness doctor, our own resident medical expert, Julian Whitaker, M.D. Dr. Whitaker, hello and welcome. Good morning, Deborah. So nice to be with you this morning. And what a terrific opportunity because just presented today from the Cochrane Database of Systemic Reviews, uh, which is a worldwide organization uh, uh, without any influence from sponsors' dollars, including uh, uh, pharmaceutical companies, uh, a new research review has been published indicating that uh, vitamin E, uh, vitamin C, excuse me, they've examined over a hundred studies on vitamin C, indicating that there are a significant amount of health benefits, uh, reducing a risk of a variety of um, health disorders just by getting more vitamin C. And um, they were quoted as saying, the more we study vitamin C, the more we appreciate its diversity in protecting our health that whether it's uh, immune systems that are weakened by stress, we need to have more standalone vitamin C research these days, Dr. Whitaker. Now, that was 300,000 studies, you said. That's right. That's right. The Cochrane Review, University of Michigan. It it probably is the most essential nutritional supplement to take because human beings do not make vitamin C in their system. And this makes us extremely unique because all other mammals, cows, dogs, sheep, horses, goats, they all make vitamin C in their liver. And they make it at a rate of about three to 5,000 milligrams a day were they the human body weight. So every animal makes vitamin C except human beings, chimpanzees, and a fruit-eating bat, and I think a hamster. So all other vegetable um, um, life forms manufacture vitamin C. And if you put animals under stress, 
they make more than the three to 5,000 milligrams a day. So it would certainly stand to reason that if the biology and all life around us are manufacturing vitamin C at a very high rate, and we lost that ability, and we were not punished for that ability when we lost it, uh, you know, two, three million years ago, because when we lost it, we were gathering food and taking in such a large amount of vitamin C that there was no, uh, there was no penalty for losing the, uh, the ability to produce it. But now, when we don't take in much vitamin C, we are really severely punished by its lack. So this is just uh, confirming what one would suspect if they just knew about the vitamin C production in other life forms. Absolutely. They said whether it's prenatal health problems, eye disease, cancer, immune system deficiencies, uh, heart disease, uh, vitamin C. Um, in fact, I've even heard some mainstream researchers saying it's more than just a vitamin. It is that essential, a oh, nutrient absolutely. to overall health. And uh, the way you take vitamin C, you simply take in somewhere between 2 and 5 grams a day. Now, I think the RDA now, what, is 100 milligrams? Mm-hmm. That's, right. And, and one gram would be uh, ten times that. Right. So um, in, at Whitaker Wellness, in, in my medical clinic, we will routinely use 30 to 40 grams of vitamin C intravenously for people with colds and flu and, and other diseases for which vitamin C can be helpful. And there's a, a clinic in uh, Kansas, the Reardon Clinic, which uses 60 to 90 grams of vitamin C intravenously as a cancer chemotherapeutic agent. And this is effective, if not more effective, than the other cancer chemotherapeutic agents without any of the side effects. Okay. <clears throat> so vitamin C is, is a very important element to take. And it's a simple element. It's only six carbons long. It's, um, you know, it's, it's a glucose molecule mm-hmm. that has been turned into an acid, ascorbic acid. And so it's a very simple molecule that every life form makes except human beings and chimpanzees. Absolutely. Well, this is very interesting, Dr. Whitaker. Today's American Medical Association News has a, an in-depth review of Dr. Beatrice Gollum's uh, recent article, of which we've spoken in, in drug safety, the, you know, the outgrowth of um, uh, her research at University of California, San Diego, the, the larger study of statin uh, side effects. And what today's American Medical Association News is reporting on um, is the fact that 1% of patients are known to have side effects to statin drugs, but yet Dr. Gollum's research indicated that 60% of patients taking statin drugs complained of muscle-related uh, uh, side effects and if, uh, if they uh, take a look at uh, doctors and their reaction to, to patients telling them that they're having side effects from the statin drugs, what the American Medical Association News is saying today is that two in three doctors refuse to endorse a possible link between well-documented adverse reactions and the statin drugs, Dr. Whitaker. That's 66%. Right. Deborah, I am a MD. I went to graduate from medical school in 1970. I've been in practice for 30 years. I honestly believe that many physicians are just plain unconscious. I don't think their brains work. They have been so autonomized, you know, so 
so robotized mm-hmm. um, that they just don't think. The fact that it carries the, these warnings on the insert, and that's not all the warnings, but it carries them on the insert, and that when patients complain about it, they discount it. It just is unbelievable to me that there could be that much um, uh, unawareness, that much, uh, um, it's just astounding that you could have that degree of um, inability simply to look and say one plus one is equal to two. Astounding to me. Amazing. It's always been, you know, even back back in the 70s when we were showing that, you know, very significant lifestyle changes could be a therapeutic approach to both cardiovascular disease, high blood pressure, and diabetes. Not preventive, but therapeutic. And the the outcry from the drug-pushing physicians was just unbelievable. Well, such is life. What's Absolutely. Next? Well, this is uh, amazing as well. Um, uh, a release uh, just over the weekend, a U.S. pathologist uh, from the Uniformed Services University of uh, Health Sciences out of uh, Bethesda, Maryland, um, suggests that um, chemotherapy and radiation um, actually increase cancer stem cells, uh, particularly in prostate cancer, breast cancer, and lung cancer. His premise, Dr. Vasco, is that the use of chemotherapy and radiation in prostate, breast, and lung cancers actually spread the disease because of why these anti-cancer therapies may shrink the tumors. They're increasing the cancer stem cells that actually drive metastasis of cancer, Dr. Whitaker? Well, the, you know, if, if you look at the history of cancer treatment, you've got to say that overall what we're doing simply does not work. Uh, the death rate from cancer relative to the population base has stayed virtually constant or gone up in the last 50 years. Yet in the last 50 years, we've made all these, this progress in, uh, in treatment of cancer with more chemotherapy and more radiation therapy and the like, but um, it just doesn't seem to work. Uh, breast cancer, for instance, uh, the death rate has gone up uh, in the last uh, 50 years, and that's even after we're spending tens of billions of dollars on mammogram for early detection. It simply doesn't work. And what we need in cancer is what we, we could have if people would just look around as a new paradigm. Hold that thought. We'll pick it up in return with Dr. Julian Whitaker joining us on Healthy Talk Radio. Warning. Changing that radio dial can be hazardous to your health. So tear off that knob and lock it in on Healthy Talk Radio with Deborah Ray and Julian Whitaker, M.D. You'll be glad you did. We have the opportunity uh, to have a special guest join us in just a moment to talk about a very important meeting, uh, the recent meeting of the Heart Failure Society. And uh, what I learned uh, before we introduce our guest, uh, Dr. Whitaker, was eye-opening. Here were some 3,000 doctors at the Heart Failure Society's annual meeting, which tells me there's a lot of failing hearts out there. Your insight, please. Sometimes access a... 
Well, we will have uh, Dr. Whitaker join us and our guest join us in just a moment. As always, uh, you, as you can tell, we, we are live. We have open phone lines and we do it on a regular basis. Uh, any of your health care questions at 1-800-307-3002. Uh, the topic today will be the failing heart. We'll have Tom Vonderbrink uh, join us uh, from Bioenergy Life Science. In addition to uh, uh, Dr. Whitaker, uh, join us to, uh, to talk about um, you know, some of the, the clinical issues that relate to energy, mitochondria, muscle function, uh, the function of our heart. Um, and given the fact that we now have a, um, an unexpected increase in a form of heart failure known as diastolic heart failure that is being linked to uh, the use of statin drugs. In fact, the Mayo Clinic indicating that perhaps as many as one in four Americans over the age of 40 has some early signs and symptoms of heart failure. And of course, in people even with insulin resistance, prediabetes and type 2 diabetes, we see more incidence of heart failure than ever before. Uh, an important topic for all of us. So whether you um, have um, a member of your family um, who is concerned about cardiomyopathy, uh, congestive heart failure, uh, whether you are one of those uh, those people with early signs and symptoms of um, heart failure, or just generally feel that you need more energy, uh, knowing that your heart is your most important muscle. Tom Vonderg will, uh, will be joining us in just a moment to, to talk about that interesting presentation from the Heart Failure Society's annual meeting. 3,000 doctors there, Dr. Whitaker. I guess wow. heart failure wow. is pretty prevalent these days. And I was off the air doing something. What were some of the primary things that they uh, talked about at that meeting? I don't want you to repeat, but just give me a hype, some of the high points. Uh, Tom did a um, uh, you know review of, of many of the presentations there as what was going on in the exhibit hall and finding uh, many medical devices, many medications, again, being used to help that heart beat harder when uh, uh, Tom, who's, who's on the air with us now, will certainly tell us some of the downsides of that. Tom, hello and welcome. Thanks for joining Dr. Whitaker and me here today. Well, good morning, Deborah, and good morning, Dr. Whitaker. Welcome, Tom. Nice to have you on. So it's talk to me about what, what were they saying over at that meeting? <clears throat> well, you know, it's kind of interesting. I've been going to this meeting for a number of years, and uh, one of the things that is more and more doctors are realizing is this energy crisis that is occurring in the failing heart. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, four or five years ago, they talked about inflammation and blood flow and everything else. But more and more doctors now are realizing that there is this energy depletion that occurs and that this patient with heart failure really is suffering from an energy crisis in their cardiac tissue. It seems odd that they would just now be discovering this. Very Well, I, I agree with you. I mean, this is, uh, you know, the biochemistry is, is very elegant uh, when you have poor blood flow. There's a biochemistry that, that occurs that depletes the amount of ATP or energy that your heart has. And, uh, Absolutely. But, See, we, you know, we're going to talk about ribose and its unique role in, the, in supplying the energy and overcoming the energy gap. But even more as germane is coenzyme Q10. Uh, Merck, the company that came out with the first statin drug, 
has a U.S. patent, two U.S. patents, on the use of coenzyme Q10 to reverse or prevent the complications, the common and known complications of the statin drugs, which are myopathy and which are liver failure. And those are the major complications of the statin drugs, and it does this because the statin drugs that block the enzyme pathway that manufactures cholesterol, that same enzyme pathway is necessary and utilized to manufacture coenzyme Q10, one of the most essential elements of energy, because without coenzyme Q10, nothing can work because coenzyme Q10, you know, uh, provides the electron transport for energy extraction. Merck you're knows exactly this. right. Merck no, knew this exactly and, and, and actually patented the use of it. So other pharmaceutical companies that come out with other statin drugs could not use uh, uh, the coenzyme Q10. Or Merck had, had patented the use of putting it along the inside the capsule with the coenzyme Q10. These patents were issued in 1990 and 1991. That's uh, 16 years ago. But nothing is ever said about it. And we have millions of <clears throat> men and women taking these statin drugs, blocking the production of this essential as the, as the cholesterol level drops, so does the coenzyme Q10 level, and that causes the muscle pain, that causes the liver problems, because both muscle and liver are very high consumers of energy. And the heart is one of the highest consumers of energy, and the brain. And those are the four sites that statins cause complications in, and they totally ignore the fact that you are reducing the coenzyme Q10 blood level, this highly essential element. It's not the only one. You know, ribose is necessary. L-carnitine is necessary. But it is these essential energy modifiers and energy enhancers are just ignored completely to the point where they will allow drugs that reduce them to go un, uh, you know, unmonitored and unaccounted for to simply make sure that they're taking the supplement by mouth. Mm-hmm. It's astounding to me that they could have this patent and not tell anybody about it. It's astounding. I, I, I agree with you. You know, in, in many of the many of the people, especially the nurses, uh, there were. A, a, quite a few nurse practitioners who who get to talk to the patients much more than the cardiologist. They listen to the problems, and you know you you hear the stories about statin-induced uh, uh, myalgia, the 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 pain, the stiffness that they have. And you know one of the things that we have found, and uh, I think you know Mark Houston. Mark has looked at uh, uh, out of Vanderbilt. Mark has looked at statin-induced myalgias, and, you know, to prevent them, yes, if you're giving a statin, well, the first thing is don't give a statin, but right. if you are giving a statin, you got to give CoQ10 with that. But what, what Dr. Houston found was that to, to, to um, treat statin-induced myalgias, ribose, because what statin-induced myalgias are a depletion of the amount of ATP, Absolutely. and um, the CoQ10 will keep that from happening. But once it happens and you've depleted the amount of ATP, you're working on the other side of that bioenergetic equation, and you can rebuild the ATP much faster with ribose because ribose is, number one, the backbone of that depleted ATP molecule, 
and secondly is the driver of that chemical reaction which builds the purine nucleotide because while CoQ10 certainly makes ATP in the turnover if it, if there's no ADP you can't make ATP in the oxidative phosphorylation process yeah let me uh, simplify let me uh, Tom let me simplify this a little bit for our listeners Okay. Uh, what Tom and I are talking about is a molecule called ATP. That's adenosine triphosphate. Uh, this is what the body burns. This is the body's gasoline. This is the body's oil uh, fuel. This is what it actually burns. The body will take in food and then manufacture these high-energy molecules for use. So without ATP, there is no energy. It's like you've run out of gas. You don't have anything to burn. And what is so important about ATP is that a five-carbon sugar, ribose, which is what we're talking about, Hold is that the thought, central... Dr. We're picking up when okay. we return on Healthy Talk Radio. The information on Healthy Talk Radio may not represent the views of this network, this radio station, or its sponsors, but it might just be good for your health. Now, here's Julian Whitaker, MD, America's Wellness Doctor, and Deborah Ray, America's First Lady of Health. You're listening to Healthy Talk Radio. We're inviting you to join us. Your health care questions at 1-800-307-3002. With Tom Vonderbrink joining us today, the President, the Chief Operating Officer of Bioenergy Life Science, back from the most recent meeting of the Heart Failure Society. 3,000 doctors there focusing on um, optimizing the function of the, uh, the heart. Here with an update for us, and we invite you to join us at 1-800-307-3002. Uh, Tom, <clears throat> it's interesting to me that you, you have all these doctors gathering. How much um, play did ribose, CoQ, and L-carnitine get at this meeting? Well, um, I, quite honestly, I didn't see any play on CoQ10 or L-carnitine. Um, we did have some discussion on ribose as uh, the recent study that we had um, uh, talked about that we had presented at the Society of University Surgeons was discussed in one of them. But, you know, by and large, these doctors are focusing on drugs and devices. Um, you know, one of the things that I commented was that most of the booths where the um, exhibitors were had tubes of some sort uh, where, you know, they are tubes to run run, you know, to make the heart work better by using a pump that you implant or things of that nature. But unfortunately, you know, looking at the basic biochemistry of what causes um, or, or what builds energy wasn't discussed about, and that was very disappointing. And, uh, you know, I know our company is trying to change that. We have a number of studies looking at um, heart failure patients, whether um, using ribose to improve everything from diastolic function to ventilatory efficiency to uh, a variety of different things. But it needs, they need more. Well, I'm not sure they need more studies as they just need some kind of openness on the part of physicians looking at it. It is astounding mm-hmm. to me that there was no play of um, these three elements to any significant extent in a meeting of 300,000 physicians who are actually taking care of, of individuals who could be dramatically benefited by the use of these substances. 
I agree with you, Dr. Whitaker. I absolutely agree. I mean, and, uh, you know, that that's one of the challenges that our company is faced with is, is how do we get to these very traditional doctors? Uh, we're making headway. Um, you know, our product is on more formularies and, uh, you know, we're getting it used by, by very traditional cardiologists as well as very traditional cardiovascular surgeons. Uh, a lot of them hearing, uh, the benefits of these nutrients from people like yourself and, uh, other early adopting integrative physicians who realize the importance of, uh, energy at the cellular level. And ribose is so e. I put ribose in my coffee every morning mm-hmm. and whenever I have tea I'll throw in some ribose mm-hmm. and I'll throw in it's not a it's not a powerful sweetener but it has a pleasant sweetening taste to it um, and it's so easy to take it's so, it, it goes across the gastrointestinal tract just like glucose gets into the system does its work supplies the backbone for the ATP molecule which is the gasoline of the uh, human body and it's like I, I feel like I'm pulling into the gas station every time I spoon in some rivals. We use it in almost all of our patients because we, we treat, as you, as you may know, our patient population comes with heart disease, diabetes, arthritis. Um, <clears throat> um, they come with high blood pressure. They come with a lot of these elderly uh, baby boomer diseases. And ribos is, you know, we give it to every single one. Mm-hmm. And with good results, we have a little miracle factory of uh, of clinical improvements on on these uh, aging lifestyle uh, kinds of uh, problems, which in some in many cases you can just narrow down to the inability of the body to manufacture and extract energy. If you can maintain the body's ability to manufacture and extract energy, that's very simple. Uh, um, explanation so many diseases would go away you're exactly right I mean nothing happens without energy no you know in in you know e- even things that you're giving uh, to treat the disease need energy to be absorbed out of the gut they need energy to be circulated throughout the system they need energy to cross the cell membrane and when you've depleted the energy charge none of this stuff works well no yeah, we'll I look. mean, I, I, I think I sent you a copy of uh, Dr. Teitelbaum's latest book. Um, the, his uh, yes, you uh, did. Fatigue, fatigue, the fantastic. And you know, he, in the second chapter, he says, you know, you have to start rebuilding the energy stores. And uh, you know, he starts with uh, with ribose because you got to have the molecule there for it to turn over for everything else you have to work. Absolutely. Now, ribose is present in all health food stores. Is that correct? You'll find it in most health food stores. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the the problem is is you know all ribose comes from our company. Um, the the only problem with a lot of the health food stores is the dosing isn't isn't uh, exactly where it needs to be because you know uh, you know even a weekend warrior and uh, an athlete. Um, can use ribose and they'll use it in different doses. You know, the, our brand, which is Corvalin, is sold through physicians and hospitals. It's also available on our website. And that gets the right dose to the, to, per the, um, per the condition. Because with, with heart failure, with fibromyalgia, 
you need to get about five grams two to three times a day, depending on the severity of the illness. And, you know, so many of the times you're going to get, you know, um, the stuff in the health food that's only going to be dosed at one or two grams. And, unfortunately, sometimes people try that and they say it doesn't work. You need so dosing so, is very, very important. So amount matters. Yeah, and five grams, for, let, let me uh, articulate that for our listeners. Five grams is about one one heaping teaspoon. Mm-hmm. Gives you about five grams. So uh, five grams of the ribose would be a heaping teaspoon in coffee or tea three times a day. Right. Not You're pretty easy right. to do. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I you mean, know, you can put it, sprinkle on cereal. You can do just about anything sure. you want. Mm-hmm. I um, personally... Will take. I'm a big fan of flaxseed oil. I mean, not excuse me, not flaxseed oil, but flaxseed. Mm-hmm. So I will grind up flaxseed. I'll grind up uh, one to two tablespoons of flaxseed, and I'll put in a heaping teaspoon of ribose into the flaxseed. Put some water in it, uh, swirl it around, and gulp it down. Uh, the ribose tends to give a little sweetness to the flaxseed, which is not unpleasant without it, but it's just another vehicle that I will use to, you know, kill two birds with one stone. And it's so easy to do. And what I like, as, as um, I'm sure our listeners do as well, <clears throat> are these dramatic elements that can just be taken by mouth. Mm-hmm. Now, um, you, when you look at uh, very high-dose vitamin C, it ha- you know, it's, it's best to do it intravenously. When you look at some of the other uh, things that we give intravenously, high-dose high vi- uh, magnesium for asthma, you know, you can take some of these orthomolecular substances and you can do it intravenously. But with ribose or with CoQ10 or with carnitine, uh, the, the, the energy triad, so to speak, uh, by mouth is the is the uh, um, best way to dose it. So it's so convenient uh, that you could have such a uh, that athletes do it. I know that um, some of the uh, bicyclists uh, use it both before and after their uh, competition. They use it before to give them the energy to compete, the extra boost of energy to compete. And then they use it afterwards to enhance and increase their um, or shorten their uh, recovery time. Um, Absolutely. So, so you're dealing with um, uh, a very basic and, uh, in my opinion, easily improved system of energy extraction, which the physicians simply ignore. We're going to look back, Tom, we're going to look back today at our medical science and all the things that we're doing in the same way that we look back at what physicians were doing 150 years ago with absolute horror. Did you know in the Civil War, the physicians used what they called a pus rag or a wound rag, Mm -hmm. where they simply had one rag that they wiped on all the wounds because they believed that in that pus coming from infection was good, and we look back at that it, with absolute horror. We're going to be doing exactly the same thing, looking back at the beginning of the 21st century, and what doctors are doing, uh, and uh, and ignoring and not doing for very simple energy crisis. You're exactly right. I mean, I I look at the 
the use of inotropic therapy in patients with congestive heart failure four and five years ago. You know, that was standard treatment today, and now they're looking at this, that, that giving these things to stimulate the heart, not to build energy, but to make it beat harder, are actually causing a uh, more death, more morbidity, more problem, because it's like beating a dead horse. And this is something that happened, you know, five years ago, if you presented at the uh, emergency room with congestive heart failure, they put you on inotropic therapy. It it hurt the outcome. And, uh, you know, people have learned that. And uh, you'd think we, we, we would have figured this out. Uh, uh, I don't think I this. don't think we'll ever figure that. And, and uh, um, this is a little off the subject of your of, of, of ribos, but I think that um, the economics of medicine today are so, have so coalesced around um, uh, uh, patented pharmaceuticals and and um, procedures and machines that the simple, the inexpensive, and the highly effective therapies are being <clears throat> Purged from the landscape, and though uh, back a hundred years ago there was the authority figures and there was the mindset and this type of thing, there never was the economic incentive to purge the good therapy in lieu and uh, to make way and uh, utilization of the bad therapy. So um, this is a particularly dangerous um, time for patients with energy failure, congestive heart failure, because they can't get from their physicians, you know, simple techniques that could be dramatically. I have a patient, <coughs> Dahmer, which we used. Um, he, I saw him. Uh, actually, I talked to his mother when he was 17, and he was in line for a, um, a heart transplant at 17 because he had idiopathic cardiomyopathy and I knew her his mother and I simply I didn't know about ribose at this time because this was about 20 years ago but I sent this patient in the mail some coenzyme Q10 and carnitine his ejection fraction went from around 21 up to 50 and he got off of his um, of the heart transplant list you realize how sick you have to be to get on a heart transplant list he then went off to college. He went to Tulane, I think it was. Um, like any kid, he start, stops taking his vitamins because he thought they were vitamins. He goes back into cardiomyopathy. Now his ejection fraction goes down to 15. Mm-hmm. No, it goes down to 20. And he gets back on a heart transplant list in New Orleans. This time we take him out of the school. I sent him down to see my cardiology friend, Peter Langshan in Tyler, Texas, who works with coenzyme Q10. We put him back on the CoQ10, back on the carnitine. His ejection fraction goes back up to normal. His mother takes him back to St. Simons, Georgia, where he now is living, married, with two kids, gainfully employed. And I do believe that I'm the only physician who's ever uh, taken a single patient off a heart transplant list twice. And it's simple. Yeah. One time I did it by mail. <laughs> but it wasn't me. Now, if I'd had ribose, I'd have thrown ribose in it. It would have just accelerated the time at which he would have um, uh, upped his um, uh, ejection fraction in his heart. And the thing that's so astounding is that this truly is in the medical literature. We know what it does. It's been published. Uh, there was a study showing that um, 
patients uh, taking these energy modifiers, not the drugs, but the energy modifiers with, co- with, uh, with cardiomyopathy, had a, a 50% mortality in six years. Well, the, without these energy modifiers, the average mortality rate for diagnosed uh, cardiomyopathy is six months for 50% mortality. So there's this huge difference in um, results following the use of these energy modifiers. And these are not patented. Some of the uses are patented, but the, the compound itself is, uh, you know, is, um, is, you know, like in God's pharmacy, and, and God didn't patent it, so neither can man. And, uh, and they are very, very powerful. I think a lot of people discount the power. Dr. Whitaker, hold that thought. We'll pick that up when we return. Tom Vonderbrink joining us today. Dr. Julian Whitaker, we're talking about the failing heart. Serving up classic health tips for over 20 years, your only source for health news and information. Healthy Talk Radio with Deborah Ray and Dr. Julian Whitaker. Tom Vonderbrink joining us today, the president of Bioenergy Life Science. The website, Corvalin. C-O-R-V-A-L-E-N dot com, a rich source of additional information, research, uh, clinical evidence. If you're not webified, 1-866-CORVALEN, C-O-R-V-A-L-E-N. We're talking about uh, the most recent uh, meeting of the Heart Failure Society, the failing heart being energy-starved. Let's say hello and welcome to Joe. You're on the air with Dr. Whitaker and Tom Bonderbreak. Joe? Hi, thanks for being there. Uh, I wish you fellows would at least mention a uh, 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 short uh, explanation of hypoglycemia and how uh, the uh, ribose will affect that. Tom, I'm going to let you handle this. I'm not sure that ribose, though it's a five-carbon sugar, I'm not sure it plays a significant role in the fluctuation of blood sugars in the in the blood. But what is what is your view on that, Tom? Well, I mean. Although ribose is a is is a sugar, it will cause very very mild hypoglycemia if taken on an empty stomach or without food, and mm-hmm. that two reasons for that. Number one, as you mentioned earlier, it is mildly sweet, mm-hmm. uh, and anything that you put sweet will 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 cause your metabolism. You'll you'll get a little insulin response. Ribose also causes the uptick of of uh, glycogen in the liver. So for you know, you'll get maybe a five or six point drop in your blood sugar uh, for about thirty minutes if you take ribose without any other carbohydrate. Now um, would that would that also uh, if you had a comparable amount of glucose or fructose um, would uh, what would be the comparable up and down in the blood sugar level relative to the ribose? Well, I mean, if you took five grams of sugar, your blood sugar would go up. With, um, I mean, it would go up. Uh, I'm not, I'm, I'm not sure. But with ribose, it actually goes down because ribose is not metabolized as a fuel. Okay. So it it it, it causes the blood sugar to go down versus up. To prevent this, yeah, just take it with meals. Mix it in with a little bit of juice. Sprinkle it on cereal. Take it with a, a, other foods, and all of that will be offset. Okay. Does that answer your question, Joe? That's what I needed to hear. All right. Okay. Get with it. Take it with meals. Take it with some juice, and you're and you're good to go. Thanks. Have a good one. All righty. Thanks for calling. Call back. 
Well, it always goes much too fast. We want to make sure that people do have the website, which is www.corvalen, C-O-R-V-A-L-E-N.com. The toll-free number, one eight six six C O R V A L E N. Tom Vonderbrink, thanks for the update. We appreciate it. Um, so nice to have you. You do good work, it's sir. It's my pleasure. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Our thanks to Dr. Whitaker, our thanks to Tom Vonderbrink, our thanks to you. If you missed anything or want to share this, the show archived for two weeks at HealthyTalkRadio.com. We also post today's healthcare news as well. You can find all of that at HealthyTalkRadio.com. I'm Deborah Ray reminding you to live long, stay healthy. 